0: Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Eagle Eye today. Every week, we have exclusive interviews with your favorite BC student athletes, professors, alumni, and more. Make sure to follow The Heights on Instagram and Facebook to recommend guests you'd like to hear from. You can catch on the latest headlines on The Heights' Facebook and Twitter pages every Monday. Today is exciting because we have a special guest, Dr. Theodore Giorgio, the Felter Family Associate Professor of Economics at Boston College. Professor Giorgio's research primarily consists of topics in labor economics, macroeconomics, and economics of transportation. In his article published in March 2020, titled Geography, Transportation, and Endogenous Trade Costs, was awarded the Frisch Medal of Econometric Society for the best applied paper published in the Econometrica. Thank you for joining me, Professor Giorgio.
1: Well, thank you. Thanks for having me over.
0: What first led you to research the transportation sector and what do you think the importance of it is?
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. So um, that's a good question. So I had been primarily working on labor topics. I work on labor economics and macroeconomics and labor topics was the, uh, the field I was mostly interested in. The reason I I got interested in the transportation sector and especially uh, bulk shipping, which is one sector, one one segment of shipping that we study in the article you mentioned, is that at some point I realized that the way that ships and exporters meet each other is very closely related. It's very similar, in fact, to the way that workers and firms meet each other. So so to think about it, there's no, to, to be more specific, there's no platform or there's no central market where everybody goes to find a match. So if you're an exporter of grain in Brazil, you don't just go on a website and say, okay, I want to send this, this, this load of grain to Europe. You just go on a website and find the ship. You can't do that. You have to find the ship yourself. And the way you're going to do it is through, basically through brokers. Uh, so there's there's what we think of as impediments to trade. It's, it's, it's costly to actually find the ship in the same way that if you're a worker looking for a job, it's not as trivial to find a job. It takes time and effort to actually find a a firm that has a a posting. So after this realization, I, I basically said, okay, we can basically use the, I realized we can use the same tools that I've been using and other people have been using in labor markets to model the process through which workers and firms find each other, to model the process through which ships and exporters find each other and not only the, that process, but also other things. So for instance, when a, a sh- an exporter finds a ship, they're gonna sit down and they're gonna bargain over the price at which they're gonna get, the ship is gonna get, be paid. How do you model that? Well, you can model it in exactly the same way that you model the wage, that way the wage is gonna be said when a worker and a firm bargain over that. Uh, so there's all these tools that we can use and, and model, model this industry, even though it has nothing to do with labor markets effectively. Um, now, to the second part of your question, why is it important and why do we care? Well, it's, it's kind of interesting because uh, when we first started writing this paper, we actually had to motivate a lot of people and tell them, look, this matters. This is important. You should, you should pay attention. And then at some point about a year and a half ago, I think in March of 2021, a ship got stuck in the Swiss Canal. All trade basically stopped um and then the you know we were also in the middle of the pandemic there was the supply chain disruptions after that for, for a period of time the only thing you saw on the front page of the new york times or the wall street journal were something was something about the supply chain so nowadays i feel like it's so easy to motivate that transportation sector is important and and obviously it is i think
0: right i mean especially over the course of the last two years i mean it's funny that you wrote this paper Right at the beginning of the pandemic of all times, um especially with you know the ship getting stuck in the canal and um supply chain, so many recent topics that kind of bring it more into prevalence. So um, it's really interesting there. Um, and for your publication specifically, um you can a model that shows um, how like former formally overlooked costs could be extremely detrimental to international trade for a number of countries. Um, what was your process of forming this model and what kind of variables and controls did you consider?
1: Right. So w- when when we first started working on this, most people, m- most of the trade literature didn't really think about the transportation sector very, very much. They basically modeled trade costs as basically being captured by distance. Uh, so that was the primary um, variable that mattered that determined trade costs. But then when we looked at the data, because we, we have data on, on on pricing data, how much people paid to ship uh, things from uh, different parts from A to B, basically different parts of the world, we saw that distance was not basically the the key driver of, of what mattered. So just to give you a very simple example, um, one of the things we noticed is that if you want to ship something from uh, China to Australia, you have to pay about seven and a half thousand dollars per day. If you want to ship uh, uh, from Australia to China, you're going to have to pay a lot more. You're going to have to pay closer to ten thousand dollars per day. Uh, think of this as the price of renting a ship. Um, I, I should note here, as I mentioned earlier, this is bulk shipment. It's not containers. So this is the the goods that are being shipped is are uh, raw materials like iron ore, grain, um, uh, coal, and things like that. Um, now, why, why do we see this difference? Well, it's interesting. Australia is actually a big, uh, a big exporter of raw material. It actually produces a, a large part of the world's supply of raw materials. China, even though we think of China as a big exporter itself, and it's true, it's a big exporter of things like refrigerators or televisions or, or, or whatnot, when it comes to raw materials, it's actually a big importer of raw materials. So then what happens is you have a ship that ends its trip in, in, say, in Australia. It's going to be very happy because because Australia exports so much. There are going to be so so many opportunities for the ship to find another exporter and go somewhere else, whether that's going to be China or or maybe Europe or North America, who knows. Um, A ship that ends its trip in, in China, on the other hand, Chances are, it's not going to find something. To, it's not going to find another exporter. It might have to travel empty somewhere else to find its next shipment. Um, this is called ballast in, in the in, in the industry, traveling ballast. And in fact, in our data, we actually see that a large fraction of ships, about forty percent, are traveling ballast at any given time, at least during our sample. So, how does this affect prices? Just to go back to what I originally said. Well, since you want to, if you take a ship to Australia, it's very happy. You can do it. The ship is willing to go there for a relatively low price. It's willing to go for seven and a half thousand dollars, let's say, from China. But if you send it the other way, exactly the same distance, it's going to have to take more. It's going to ask for more money precisely because it knows that when it gets to China, it's going to have to, it's probably going to have to travel somewhere else empty afterwards. Which, of course, is costly. Um, And therefore, it's going to ask for more money to go to China in the first place. Um, so so, so the reason I mention all this is one of the key variables we realize matters is whether a country you're at is whether it's a net exporter or a net importer. So the relative supply of exporters to ships is really what determines whether these countries are attractive or not as destinations for ships. And these this in turn feeds back into the prices, uh, the prices that exporters need to trade to pay which themselves feed into trade itself, trade flows. So the point of this paper to some extent is to look at the interaction between these trade costs and these trade flows and how they both affect each other. Uh, and this is something we want to illustrate.
0: Right, yeah. Um, you know, I, it's so interesting that so many countries are either, a, you know, basically a mass next net exporter or a mass net importer. Um, and I think um, from your research, a lot of that has to do with a country's comparative advantage um, as it relates to the goods that they're producing on a mass scale. What like kind of plays into how a com- the country's comparative advantage is strong or maybe is weaker um, that maybe causes them to be an exporter, be an importer?
1: Right. So a lot of it is is just geography to be honest. I mean, it's geography and the state of development. So Um, so Australia which I mentioned earlier is a big net exporter that's where again this is all about raw materials this is again think of iron ore and coal and um, when it comes to those goods Australia is a big net exporter and that's just by geography Uh, China which I mentioned as well is a big importer again that's just because of the state of its development it it needs all these raw materials to build roads and and factories and bridges and all that Uh, So that's basically what's going to determine the comparative advantage here.
0: Sure. Yeah. And um, also, it's funny now that I mean, I think you said maybe around 80, 80 percent of the world trade volume is carried by ships and especially the dry bulkers, the enormous ones um, Mm -hmm. that carry so much cargo, but are oftentimes so Empty. I mean, they travel empty. I think around like forty-two percent of the time, um, which you said. And is that problematic in itself? Is that costly to countries? Is is that even sustainable in the long run? Or should should countries stop trying to leave ships empty so much of the time?
1: Right. No, that's a great point. So, um, yeah, you would think that part of this is inefficient, and, and that's something we were also thinking about to some extent. So. Um, there, there, are two, there are two parts to, the, to answer your question. First is part of it is just driven by, as you mentioned earlier, comparative advantages, just the fact that um, supply of goods is in one country and demand for these goods is in another country. And on the way back there or, or, or afterward, or this country that's importing these goods may not have other goods for the ships to pick up afterwards. So it's just economic geography in some sense. So that's nothing inefficient. There's not something wrong there. It's not clear we should be doing something as as policymakers to prevent this from happening. It's just, um, I mean, the simplest example: imagine that half the world produced all of the raw materials and the other half just imported them. You would just have, you know, half of the half of the trips would be empty. Think of it that way. There's there's nothing wrong with that in some sense. I mean, it's not great because of pollution and whatnot, but that's the world partly. So, this is close to how we live in this world. Um, another part is, though, is this just it? I mean, this is something that actually motivated uh, my co authors and I to. We, we have a follow up paper where we kind of try to think about can we still do a little bit better? And we went back to think about the process that I mentioned in, in the beginning where exporters and ships meet each other. So I mentioned this is similar to, to, the, to the labor market process. Um, you can also think of this as how, for instance, it used to be when we had taxis uh, and there was no Uber, nothing like that. And so I would be there looking for a cab outside in Chestnut Hill, and maybe there was an empty cab, two streets over, but we never met each other because we didn't know we were there, even though we both were looking for, uh, for a match um so a similar consideration may be happening with ships as well so you might have exports and ships and because of this process being so decentralized and it takes time for matches to uh, form maybe there's some there's some wastefulness going on there um so one of the one of the questions we asked in 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 the follow-up paper was imagine we had an uber for ships imagine there was some centralizing platform where all of the markets cleared immediately. So exporters and ships, they would go there and there would be uh, the, the platform would, would would set the matches, would set the prices, and there would be no there wouldn't be any of this wastefulness, which in economics we call search frictions. Um, so we did this experiment and we found that indeed if you have if you have an Uber for ships, that's great. You get a lot more matches because you, you, you reduce the wastefulness. But on the other hand, what we realized is that Uber is also a monopolist. So, and what monopolists do, especially for people who've taken econ courses, is they they basically jack up the prices more than what is is socially optimal, more than what the government or uh, if we we would want them to do. So we find that on one hand, you get more matches because you don't have these inefficiencies related to the, the process through ships and exporters meet each other. On the other hand, because Uber or the Uber for ship, we we suspect is going to increase prices because of monopoly power. You actually find some of this, some of these matches actually going down. So um, on net, it's not obvious that an Uber for ship is, is such a great idea. We we actually found that instead, maybe government should impose some taxes or subsidies in the current situation to improve uh, what happens. And welfare is not is, is might actually be better off that way. So
0: it It definitely is an interesting idea though to have kind of all those cargo ships on the same page at the same time, especially with you know how popular technology is today with apps and you know it seems like everything is on your phone so um it it is intrigue intriguing possibility, but yeah definitely definitely lock yeah,
1: it's it's uh, i don't I don't know what's gonna happen i I, I gave a I gave a talk once at um uh, some some uh, uh association of brokers and in, in montreal the royal association of uh, ship brokers there and um i was curious to hear their their opinion at some point so i, I asked them this question do you think that we're going to have a new for ships at some point in the future and it was it was very interesting because half the room basically the younger half were basically saying of course we're going to have a new birth for ships and then the older half was saying, no, we're definitely not going to have that. We've been doing this for 150 years. We used to do this on, in in bars back in the day and make these uh, arrangements. Now we do it over Yahoo Messenger, actually. I, I don't know why they do it over Yahoo Messenger, but that's how they do it. Uh, but we're still going to keep doing it, and we're still going to be necessary for this. So uh, it was quite interesting, the the contrast from from the practitioners. This is the, the professionals, and, and they were trying to... Kind of predict what was going to happen. So I I, I was just sitting there and awe, just you know this conversation was amazing to me.
0: Right. Yeah. Um. And you know it's funny how much power is in kind of the hands of you said the monopolists, but um at the same time, do you think there's a lot or maybe too much power in the hands of the exporters who, um I think like you said like where trips to for ships to go are cheaper to travel to say large exporters like Australia, or maybe even nor- nor- Northwest America, um, where they have all those raw materials, is that unfair in the global market? Is that um, just too much power to be had in those exporters' hands where they're, you know, maybe not able to kind of allocate their resources to importers like China or India?
1: um i I actually find that a lot of the opposite to some extent is happening through, through our model in fact what we see is um is that because of the nature of the transportation sector that kind of alters the comparative advantages of countries so so what do i mean by that so um imagine you're an exporter in china um because there are all these ships remember china is this big net importer so there are all these ships that that uh, drop off, discharge their cargo in China, and then they, they don't have anything to do. They usually go elsewhere empty. If you happen to be one of the few exporters, which is not that few actually in, in China, exporting raw materials, because there are all these ships available, it's going to be very easy for you to find the ship. So you're not going to spend a lot of time looking for a ship, for one. And second, because these ships are, they don't really have much alternative. Either they're going to make a, make a deal with you or they're gonna go empty somewhere else and that's costly for them because traveling empty is fairly costly. The price you're gonna get as an exporter for China is gonna be quite good. You're gonna get a fairly low price. So what the transportation sector does is effectively, it it sort of subsidizes, if you will, uh, exporters in these net importing countries. So exporters in places like China or India or other parts of the world where where there are usually big importing countries. on the other side what it's also doing is it's effectively taxing exporters in that exporting country so if imagine you're a exporter in australia you meet a ship the ship has a lot of options in australia because there's so many exporters in australia that if if you go and try to make a deal with the ship the ship might tell you you know what you don't you don't want to pay this high price i can go and find somebody else and you know that, so chances are you're going to have to pay a much higher price than, than, than the person, for instance, in China, uh, precisely because Australia is a net exporting country that's great for ships, it's not so good if you're an exporter. So what it does, the transportation sector effectively, it raises prices for countries that are, that are net exporters, and it reduces shipping prices for countries that are net importers, like China, for instance. So it kind of alters the comparative advantages. So the comparative advantage said we should, Australia should export a lot, China should import a lot and export less. You kind of see this changing because through the transportation sector.
0: That That's really interesting. That's something that would go right over my head if I was just looking at it right away. Um, so it's really great to know. But um, especially, uh, I mean, going back to your main model, um, the Costs were pretty overlooked in um in the time before the pandemic, before a lot of the um global market issues are happening right now, like the supply chain, um even even the um ship getting stuck in the canal. Um, why do you think those costs were overlooked in the first place? Um, and is that something that you see getting overlooked in the future, or is it just going to go back to normal where, you know, people are just like, oh. The trade sector is fine. It doesn't really matter as much, um, and it continues to get overlooked. If that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I I I don't know. It's it's uh, as they say, it's very hard to make predictions, especially about the future. Uh, but um, I think part of the reason people started paying attention. I mean, we we started getting good data on on these costs that maybe wasn't available before uh so for for so for instance for this paper we found both data on on shipping prices how much a bunch of exporters paid to ships to transport their goods but it also had really good data on 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 ship and the location of ships so we use this ais data which is basically uh you see the so in our data sets we our data set we saw ships literally every six minutes uh, on the on the on, on the globe we know their longitude the latitude we knew exactly where they were we saw their speed uh, we, we there was a variable that indicated if they're loaded or not. so there was all this data that we can that made it easier for us to study this sector. Uh, we, we wouldn't be able to write this paper without this data basically so and this data wasn't available ten years ago for instance. Uh, so partly, I think the data is also another uh, something new that came up that makes it easier to, trans- to study the transportation sector. Uh, and I think given a lot of the recent events, people realize the transportation sector is is important. I think I want to believe that it's not going to be ignored in long, right? Indeed, like if you look at the literature since, since in the past few years, there's been like a lot of people working on this, a lot of people thinking about supply chain disruption issues, um and there's 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 a lot of prominent economists working on the
0: transportation sector today, so I, I hope that that will continue to be the case. So yeah, uh, you grew up in Athens uh, and you also attended university there. Um, did your experience um, living in both Greece and the United States um, with different economic situations um, and different policies um help shape your economic interests at all or um or how did that work exactly?
1: Yeah, that's right. So um, I, I, so it's it's interesting. So so Greece is a big, it's, it's not a big country, but it's a big player when it comes to global shipping. So um, it turns out a lot of my friends actually work in, so shipping is a big sector, especially in Athens. So I, I actually, we, a lot of our friends, my friends and people I know work in the shipping sector. And as a result, that was something that was always kind of in my radar. Um, it was very useful. I'll tell you this was very useful when it comes to trying to get data uh, and understanding what data is out there. uh, One thing. And and the second thing was super useful was just finding people in the industry to talk to and and try to understand how does this industry work? Are people thinking what's important? Um, And this is something you need to do when you're studying um, an industry like shipping, you have to talk to people and understand what happens and what's going on. And um, so that was very, very easy for me to do being from Greece because there's, I, I, just naturally, most people have contacts in the sector just because so many people work there. So, uh, in that sense, it definitely helped.
0: Right. Um, and as far as your, uh, uh, future research, um, I don't know if you're still continuing to work on kind of the global trade market, but, um, are you still hoping to do research in that area or are you expanding to any other fields as well?
1: No, absolutely. I still want to, I mean, I, I definitely want to continue working on this, especially given, I mean, we, we wrote this paper before the global supply chain disruptions and and then they hit and there was just renewed interest in this topic. Um, one of the topics we're looking at right now with, a, with the same set of co-authors is we're trying to understand the role of ports and how important ports are in uh, in what happened and, and and more generally what is the role of ports because ports is kind of the gateway to international trade that's where trade goes through and it's important that they operate efficiently and there was a lot of publicity especially during the recent disruptions about whether ports are doing their jobs right and what's happening there um, so we're, we're we're collecting a lot of data on that it's uh, with the help of um, a number of actually B- BC undergraduates in fact and um, for amazing I have to say I'm, I'm, I'm super impressed with them um and and we're trying to understand what exactly is is the role of infrastructure and labor uh in in ports I mean one of the the thought experiment is if if you're a social planner if you're the government would you want to do something differently would you want to uh, invest more in certain ports would you want to um, have labor reallocated across ports I mean it could be that you don't want to do anything it could be that this is a one in- a lifetime event and um, you know sure it happened but then investing in ports and expanding ports is super costly and it costs you know, millions of dollars maybe it's not worth spending that money for an event that happens once every 30 years um, or it could be that we do have suboptimal infrastructure and maybe we do need to invest more in it so i'm not saying it's one or the other it's something we're actually i don't have an answer right now to give you but i think it's a very interesting question and that's kind of what we're after and trying to understand
0: yeah, and as you said, it's so unpredictable, which makes it frustrating at times. But um, it's it's all really important to kind of analyze for the future, and and so it's really great work that you're doing. Um, Thank you, and also congratulations uh, for uh, I think you're maybe the first BC professor to receive the Frisch Medal Award, um, publishing in in the Econometrica, which is a huge accomplishment. So, um, thanks,
1: it's appreciate it.
0: Um, but yeah, I think that's that's all I have to ask. If if you want to add anything, but um yeah.
1: No, no, this was this was great. I this was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me on and yeah. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it.